Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. What does it take, and more importantly, why does a supplement company selling things that are in pots and jars and pill form, very interesting for your gut microbiome, but still a supplement company, take the step into the flower business? And I don't mean the colorful flower, but I mean the flower you can bake with. What does it have to do with your gut health anyway? And why does one of the leading eco-dietitians working with this company think about the space and why did she move into it? Get ready to learn a lot about the cousin of buckwheat and so much more. What are the connections between healthy farming practices, healthy soil, healthy produce, healthy gut and healthy people? Welcome to a special series where we go deep into the relationship between regenerative agriculture practices that build soil health and the nutritional quality of the food we end up eating. We unpack the current state of science, the role of investments, businesses, nonprofits, entrepreneurs and more. This series is supported by the A-Team Foundation, who support food and land projects that are ecologically, economically and socially conscious. They contribute to a wider movement that envisions a future where real food is produced by enlightened agriculture and access to it is equal. The A-Team Foundation are looking to make more investments and grants in the space of bionutrients. You can find more here, ateamfoundation.org, or get in touch directly, info at ateamfoundation.org, or check the information in the show notes below. Welcome to another episode today with eco dietitian and nutrition nutrition and sustainability advisor at Big Bold Health. Mary, welcome. Thank you, Kuhn. It's wonderful to be here. I thought I wouldn't butcher that intro so much, but I did. Anyway, I'm very happy to you have you great. have you here. And and I mean, every time I see new, I go for nutrient density instead of nutrition already. Sort of automatically, as we've been recording these series for for quite a bit. And actually, uh, this is the final episode. It depends in what order you're listening. Uh, they're all relevant. They're all interesting. But this is officially uh, the last one. So I'm very happy to double click. We're going to record many other uh, listeners. Don't worry. We're going to record many other episodes on the connection between healthy soil and healthy people and, and the connections between that. But this is uh, the one, the last one of the 18 Foundation um, supported one. So definitely check out the others. But um, until then, please stay here with us. And Mary, can you, because you have a, a very interesting journey into this space and the question I always like to answer, you've listened to a few episodes, so you know this one is coming. Uh, what brought you into soil and, and focusing on that very niche thing, I feel like, but it's still, it's, it's growing slowly, the, the nutrient density connection. Well, it, it's been a journey and I, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll travel on this roadmap with Please me because I started off as a clinical dietitian interested in general, you know, from the 30,000 foot view of helping the people, helping the planet, making this world a better place. Right. And, and a lot of that started off with food, food as medicine and also food as a healthy vitality to make us the best versions of ourselves. And part of that is micronutrient density, um, and the ability of our bodies to function in response to optimal levels of all the micronutrients that we need in, you know, for our physiological function, right? So that's sort of the basics. And as I started working with clients and patients, I was seeing, you know, interesting results just from the, 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 the general viewpoint of when people eat better, they feel better, they are better, their health concerns are, are diminished. And as I started 
exiting out of the clinical space and more into the sustainable food system space, I started understanding that not only the way that we grow our food um, is having a detrimental impact on the environment, is contributing to global greenhouse gases that are contributing to climate change, but are absolutely affecting the nutrient quality of food and the 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 heart of that is at the soil as at the root of the soil and we're seeing fewer nutrients in the foods that we have today than we than we had 50 years ago and for me that is having a direct impact on human health um and conversely we think of the food system as I mentioned, having such a, de- a, a, a devastating impact on climate, on environment. And um, part of that is is based on how we treat the soil and mitigating the impact that we're having on that, on those things very much is, is, uh, is going to be dependent on how the soil gets treated in the future. So the food system is a problem creating foods that are detrimental to people and planet but it is also the solution. And that is where I find hope. And that is where I want to spend my time. And so it's a great intro, of course, into the space. But I also wonder, um, when did um, did that click between brackets? I'm doing air quotes now. Did it click for you that simply, I mean, we had Zach Bush on the on the show. And, and, and he specifically said at some point, I saw some uh, some patients actually getting sicker, even though they were eating their kale. Um, so when did it click for you or what was the journey like to see, okay, if we simply eat better food, which means less ultra processed and, and eat your vegetables, your fruit, your et cetera, that that's good enough. And you said, no, actually you have to one, go one step beyond and say, how is this food being grown? Because I have the feeling in many cases, we stop at that simply better food and we'll be all be fine, regardless right. how that stuff has been grown, because a strawberry is a strawberry and tomato is a tomato, et cetera, et cetera. If we don't highly process it into whatever uh, sugar you drink, then it's always better to eat that strawberry. Um, do you remember when that rabbit hole opened basically for you and you went down all the way to the soil? Because that's not such an easy step. I think most people stop again at, okay, vegetables better, so eat more vegetables. It started with... A head scratch where, you know, I was working with patients. We were testing them with all kinds of nutrients, um, or nutrient levels. So we were looking at folate. We were looking at zinc. We were looking at iron. We were looking at levels of inflammation, you know, markers in their bloodstream. Um, and we were looking at their microbiome, right? And I had patients who had the money and the access to buy foods and they had a basically, you know, what would be considered a nutrient dense diet. If you just think of, you know, what the USDA says, how many milligrams of magnesium are in this you know, head of lettuce or whatever it might be. But yet they were, they were lower in, in their nutrient levels or they had higher levels of things like mercury. And I was going, how can this be? This is, this seems, this seems off, right? Um, and the same thing with the microbiome. I started understanding, I wrote a book on, on the microbiome and, and all the, the foods that are supportive to the microbiome and the foods that are detrimental to the microbiome. And as I dove into the research, I started understanding the connection between diversity of food, nutrient density of food and the way that food is grown in soil and takes on the microorganisms of the the soil microorganisms and that we in turn are eating those microorganisms from plants and that the plants that are grown in soil that is healthy is going to have a direct impact on our current gut microbiome so for me it all started to make sense it was all it was kind of the 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 pieces were all falling into play of like oh okay it's not just about eat more vegetables it's not just about oh get this many servings of this every single 
single day. It's about, no, we got to change the whole system so that the servings that you're getting of those foods that we're talking about are actually rich in those nutrients that your body needs. Otherwise, we're in big trouble from a health perspective. And and when when was this? When did the... Uh, what did they say? When when did it click or when did it, whatever drops, has to drop? Like, is this 10 years ago, a few years ago, oh. 15 years ago? What are we talking? So I would say it started around in 2019 and then 2020 was when it really hit. And I think, you know, part part of that was COVID-19 of just ha- having a bit more time to dive <laughs> into some research, but also understanding the the fragility of our food system and, and having a, a much deeper insight into the way that we are growing our food, the impact that is having on the animal kingdom, um, on uh, zoonotic diseases, and um, and how that's affecting immune function, and and all of this, you know, it's it's all connected. I mean, I think that. The, the what we have lost is this sense of connection to our food to our environment to to animals to the earth and um when covid hit i think somehow for me I, I was able to start making those connections on a much much deeper level it's like oh okay this is it this is not happening in isolation this is happening because of this which happened because of this which happened because of that and that and that and so on and downstream and downstream and and how did you find because that's why we're running this series. That's why we're, we're paying so much attention to this. Like, how does this translate into, into products and into things we can buy? And things, of course, if, if you buy straight from a farm that has been focusing on soil health, that's a thing you can buy. Um, but how does that translate into the bigger food system? I think it's something we, we just start to, to wrap our heads around or even just literally start. And, and so how did you find your way to big bold? And, and then we're going to, of course, unpack that part of, of the story a bit deeper as well. Yeah, well, I think one thing that I found missing in a lot of conversations about the environment and about sustainability and sustainable food systems was the human health component. And I come from this background of having worked with thousands of patients over about, you know, 13, 14 years. And then having taught, I taught medical students, I taught nutrition students about human nutrition, about micronutrients, macronutrients. And I felt like no one was connecting the dots between, hmm, we're growing our food and it's having a negative impact on the soil on the and the climate and pollution and our waterways and and uh, so many other parts of our environment that are being destroyed. Um, but people weren't bringing in, oh, and by the way, this also is affecting the quality of the food, which is affecting human health. And so I felt like I could come in and bring this sense of expertise around Wow, the reason maybe why people are getting sick is not just because they're eating junk food, but because um, the system is creating it so that junk food or ultra processed food is what is available, is what is cheap, is what is produced, is what is subsidized. Um, and, you know, it's not the fault of the consumer who may often be perceived as making bad choices. It's not as simple as that. It's hard to make um, the good choices when people don't have access to those foods. And when the the companies that have the most power um, are producing foods uh, that are that are ultimately contributing to many chronic diseases. So I wanted to come in and make that that argument, make that connection, and help businesses, people, um, organizations understand if we can change the system and how we grow the food, that can only have positive implications for human health, reducing healthcare costs, um, helping uh, planetary health, and that includes reducing environmental degradation, improving biodiversity, and hopefully... 
uh, mitigating the climate crisis. Just just a small task there. And I'm going to ask it again. How, how did you get to Big Bolt? Like, what's the, the, the connection then to a very, um, I'm not saying niche company, but a specific part of buckwheat, the buckwheat story, which we're going to get into. Like, how yeah. did you find your way to, uh, to, to Jeffrey, basically, or to the company? Through the microbiome. <laughs> you know, we know, uh, microbiome, the human gut microbiome and the, and the, the microbiome in general is a huge part of our immune system and how our immune system functions. And so Big Bold Health, um, is this food is medicine, wellness platform and product company that really connects the dots between human immunity, plant immunity and planet immunity. And so this notion that when we grow food in a way that supports planetary health and immune function that supports the immunity of the plant. Um, and we know the immunity of the plant is central to the soil microbiome, um, or I should say the soil microbiome is central to the immunity of the plant. And then when that interchange between the mycorrhizal network in the soil and the plant with that beautiful relationship that that concert that that occurs underground that produces a healthier plant and then when we consume that plant our immune systems are also benefited by that so that's how I found my way because I was I was uh, speaking and, and writing about the microbiome so much and talking about soil and the connection between soil and the the various microorganisms that exist in the soil and what amazing crossover there is in terms of the phyla um, uh, in the soil and the human gut microbiome. So Jeffrey Bol- uh, Je- Jeffrey Bland, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, known as the the father of functional medicine, who who runs Big Bold Health, um, sought me out and said I. Will, I want you to speak at this conference. And then I spoke and he said, Hey, I think there might be a role for you um, at Big Bold Health. Would you be interested in coming to work with us and helping us to make these connect uh, these connections between immune function and nutrition and soil? And uh, I said, yes, I would. I, uh, I'll sign on the dotted line right now. So, and I mean, there are, there are, are quite a few companies slowly starting to focus on, on the gut microbiome and, but I don't think anybody has a, a flower on the market. Uh, and I'm not, mm. I'm not meaning the, the flower flower, I'm meaning literally the one you can bake with. Um, so how, how did that come about? Because it's one thing selling, of course, supplements or highly concentrated things in either a powder f- uh, shape or in, in pills, etc. I mean, we're sort of quote unquote used to that. Like there, there are a lot of, uh, um, things on the market on that side. And, and I, I think there's a lot of noise as well around that, but then to come up with, I mean, almost quote unquote, a functional flower, it's quite a, quite a step. Mm. How did that, um, and what does the Himalaya have to do with it? But how did that come about? And, and what has been that journey on from, from the flower? I mean, it's gluten free, but still it's a flower, a flower side of things. Yeah. So, so Jeff, um, somehow, created a connection with a farm in upstate New York that are farmers in upstate New York that actually started growing Himalayan tartary buckwheat, which is 
similar to buckwheat, but actually is a different species. Um, so it's it's somewhat different in terms of its 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 nutrient density. And it's, this it's is like a, a cousin, a right? I read it like it's like a cousin. Yeah, it's to like buckwheat a cousin. Some family exactly. Yeah. Um, and and it is it's been uh, grown traditionally in 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 areas of China where the weather conditions ha- have been um, quite uh, stark. You know, very very cold uh, land that's maybe soil that's not that that well cared for or that's dry. Um, and yet this Himalayan tartary buckwheat has thrived. And so this farmer in upstate New York started to grow it. And Jeff thought, gosh, this is really interesting. He was growing it using regenerative agriculture. And uh, Jeff started learning a little bit more about that and realized that the nutrient density of this crop, um, which is known as a fruit seed, this Himalayan tartary buckwheat, was incredibly rich and more nutrient dense actually than your typical buckwheat in these polyphenols, these phytochemicals, these protective plant compounds that plants produce, again, in conjunction with that mycorrhizal network in the soil, and thought, wow. Wow, this is an amazing way to bring back this ancient crop um, and to try and get more people to understand the way that the regenerative agriculture produces this incredible, um, you know, superfood uh, in a way that supports the land, but also creates a product that can have profound implications for people's health, specifically immune function, um, which we know uh, these days is, is something that we, we, we struggle with, uh, you know, our, our immune function. So supporting immune function with this flower um, has been one of the, the ways to, um, to, to, to have Big Bold Health uh, be part of the, the world of, of wellness, as well as the world of, of regenerative agriculture. And what was the decision? I mean, we, we can ask Jeffrey as well, but in general to, to sort of step away, still do that, of course, like from, from the, uh, the more concentrated forms, et cetera, but into the baking area as well. Like suddenly you need baking recipes on your website. Suddenly you need to right. talk a very different language and probably different margins and then things like that. And, and so why? taking that bold step of uh, pun intended but why mm-hmm. that bold step of of bringing a, a flower to market with this farmer um of these farmers upstate new york didn't they do that themselves weren't they able to um to bring this to market themselves or what was the role basically for the company there Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. It's a good question. I, I may not know the intricacies of that as well, obviously, as as, as Jeff Bland does. But I would say the, the, the farmers who were growing it were, were working with a mill. And I think the the mill was selling it to local chefs and local maybe bakeries in the in the in the in the town but perhaps it wasn't happening on this on the kind of scale um that it is now where there's more than just one one farmer or one farm there's now a number of farms in upstate new york that are growing this and i think jeff wanted to take it and bring it to a larger audience and so you know part of the the company has been about marketing the the flower and um and really extolling all the the benefits and also turning it not into just a flower but to taking taking the the um, the isolated compounds from the buckwheat, things called uh, two hoba and rutin and um, all these other wonderful polyphenol uh, 
compounds that are that are found in it and to turning into into supplements as well. And and part of it too, I think, you know, and this is maybe where I come in as well, having been a dietitian, behavior change. Um, how do we how do we help people understand that supporting this kind of agriculture, um, that supporting their health with a product that really has benefits for their immune function? Um, you know, how do we how do we how do we tell that message in a way that's inviting? Because uh, it, it's expensive. You know, very often eating healthy is expensive. Now we we pay for we pay for food that's cheap in other ways, and that's a whole other podcast. But um, you know, how do we convince? How do we tell the sustainability story, but also the immune function story, the the, the beneficial compound story, make it a, a, a delightful way of, of looking at this superfood. And I say superfood, you know, in you quotes. You can see it, but she did, she did quotes. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people get annoyed yeah. when people say superfood, which I completely understand because it's it's gotten a little out of control. But in my opinion, a superfood is not just the food um, for what it gives to the, the human being, but what it gives back to the planet. And so when a food is grown in a way that actually supports soil, that doesn't destroy um, its local environment, that to me is also a superfood. Um, so that that that's my personal definition, which is why I'm putting it in quotes there. So yeah, so it really is about, you know, how do we, how do we send this message to, to, to individuals, um, to help them to make decisions that support people and planet and their own personal health. And and so how have you gone about to communicate this, this story? Because in other episodes, we touched upon that as well. It's very difficult. You have maybe a few seconds in the supermarket, which is not this case. I think you, I don't, don't know if you wear your sold basically um, um, everywhere, but you have maybe a few seconds either on an internet on, on your website or scrolling it through uh, with your phone. So how do you convey this super complex message of everything is connected, your health with the soil, with the plant, um, with the farmer's practices, etc. And what has been the strategy there to, to make it interesting, engaging, and of course sell, um, but also not yeah. make it too overwhelming. I think it's been multi-pronged, multifaceted. So we're coming at it from a variety of different uh, angles. Number one, we we just relaunched um, a new website, which is has a really nice feel to it. And so the idea of what do we want people to feel, right? What do we want people to feel when they look at the product or when they look at the photos of people um, consuming the product or they look at the fields where the product is grown? So how do they connect to, um, to the, the idea of 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 farmers how do they connect to the idea of health how do they connect to the idea of nature and that's a big theme for big bold health is the power of nature to heal people the power of nature what we can learn from nature that nature does it on her own right we we're, we've been so focused in in our in our culture and I know there's various different cultures but in you know the United States and North America and western and colonized culture to want things fast easy quick convenient um, and we've lost sight of the connection that we have to nature and I don't probably need to tell you that the research around the health benefits that we as humans get when we are connected to nature um, the way that we treat nature differently when we feel connected to nature 
I think all of that has been forgotten. And so I think Big Bold Health tries to create that feeling with the website. And then we have social media. Um, so we have, I do a lot of videos. Jeff does videos. Um, one of our other directors of um, in the clinical realm, uh, Austin, Dr. Austin Perlmutter, he does videos. We have um, chefs devising recipes that are delicious and fun from the sweet to the savory. There are webinars that are given. Uh, there are email blasts that go out. Again, really trying to tap into people's sense of wanting to take care of themselves, wanting to connect, wanting to be part of a community. And I think that is truly what what speaks to people, especially in this day and age when we have felt so isolated and uh, and want to connect to something. And um, and also people are so unwell. And what can we do to to, to help um, mitigate those issues as it relates to our health? And in terms of, is there a danger we focus again on on one thing to help us, the, the, the quote unquote superfood, like, okay, if we just all eat this cousin of a buckwheat, we'll, we'll be fine and forget about the rest of potentially rotation. I don't know if that's the case in this case. Like what, what, what else do we need to uh, buy from these farms or what else do we need to make sure to, to change as well? Is there a danger also from the agronomic side um, to, to focus on one, one cash crop and one potentially monoculture? And I'm also curious about, have you seen, because we talk about the healthy side of or healthier soil management practices, et cetera, that management practices to grow this, this type of buckwheat have an impact on the quality of it and the, the, basically the nutrient density as we've been talking about that. Yeah, funny you should ask. We we actually just completed um, what we called a soil inoculation trial, uh, and this was a trial that 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 essentially looked at adding bacteria and fungi to the seeds of the of the plant. And so when they were put into the soil, the there was a, an, an addition of these fungi and bacteria in the soil. Um, and so they were looking at that in comparison to seeds that did not have this additional inoculants or maybe just had one of the inoculants. And what they found um, from the, the results of that was that the content of rutin, which is a phytochemical in 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 plants, specifically uh, it tends to be high in uh, in Himalayan tartary buckwheat, was actually trending higher in the seeds that had been inoculated with the, the the bacteria and the fungi combination. So that was really interesting. You know, these are preliminary results. We, you know, we're, we're we're not hanging our hats on 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 this definitively, but it was definitely a trend that we saw, and so. Obviously, we know when soil has more rich, diverse numbers of microorganisms, that tends to improve the the benefits to the to the plant and tends to increase those that get that phytochemical production because of that symbiotic relationship that happens. So, I think we're going to see a lot more research that comes out on this that uh, that sh- that highlights that connection. Which is very interesting to see that that quality piece basically coming out. Um, in the connection to farming practices, in this case, in the collection of seeds before before planting. Yeah, I, I, I imagine this will be a trend that will that will either occur or may have to occur as a result of the the eroded and depleted soil that we're seeing in our in our in our in our systems today. In in the broader space, I mean, of course, without giving investment advice, but I always like to ask this question because you've seen a lot and been part of a lot in in this space. Um, what would be your main message to 
um, to people working in the financial space, in the investment world. I know Big Bold has, has raised some money, uh, but also from like, how do we turn this into products? How do we turn this into things that are accessible? We, how do we start cracking this code? Okay, great. Nutrient density, the connection, healthy soil, healthy food, healthy gut system, healthy people seems very, very clear. And now what? Like, what would be your, if we, if we do this on stage, I like to ask the question and the room is full of, of finance people, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, what would be your main uh, message that they should take home? Um, I, I've got, I've got three, three things here and they're going to be all very different. So I hope Perfect. you go with me. Um, because, I, you know, investors may have different goals and not everyone wants to invest in a company. Um, and so I think there are a lot of different ways for money to be put into this world of how do we, how do we bring regenerative agriculture more um, into more spaces? And I want to acknowledge, too, that regenerative agriculture is not new. Agroecology and these kinds of conservation methods have been practiced for centuries, for generations by indigenous communities all over the world. So I want to make sure that people recognize that. Uh, we, we didn't just coined the term 20 years ago. Right. That was it. Yeah, ah, okay. exactly. I'm, I'm being sarcastic here. Don't start. Uh, or Irene, no, don't, I, don't start emailing, please. Um, no, I <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a good point. Like this is, but it, it does feel, I'm not saying different now. I don't know if you could like agree, like maybe when the early organic movement came up, also a wave that of course stands on the shoulders of giants. Um, yes. Maybe they felt a bit the same, but it feels like there's something bubbling. Like if we, we collective, we have hit a nerve that mm. hasn't really been hit like in annoyance, like original agriculture people being annoyed, but also by acceptance from large corporates. Yes, we need to really hold them accountable and many other things. But somehow there seems to be a wave that I have never seen before. Even that, and also I've never heard anybody talk so much about soil or so much attention and, and um, like the bubble seems to be growing, but I don't know if that felt the same a hundred years ago when the original organic movement came up. So I'm, I'm a bit scared for that I, and hopeful. Well, I agree with you. And I think the reason why there is this resurgence is because of the degradation of the soil and the desire to want to turn that around. So, so it's, we getting, have seen, it's getting bad enough. Yeah. yeah, it got bad enough so that we're seeing, okay, we've got a problem. We are not able to grow food um, as well as we are. And we're, that's going to continue to happen. So there's a problem. What is the answer? What is, what is the solution? Oh, there's something we can do to actually turn things around. This thing called regenerative agriculture, which has been practiced for centuries and centuries, but now we're seeing that it can turn things around, right? So the three ideas that I have is number one, in terms of investment, invest in companies that have a sustainable and regenerative supply chain that are using ingredients that um, that that come from regenerative farms um, that are working in these eco-friendly nature nature friendly nature positive um, using those kinds of methods. Number two, I would say support the farmers who are working in this way or have been specifically BIPOC farmers, black, indigenous, people of color farmers. Very often, these are the people who have been stewarding the land again for centuries. Um, what can we learn from indigenous ways of knowing? How can we invest in indigenous wisdom and to bring that um, and and to surface it in more places and to, and to augment and amplify those kinds of platforms? That would be my number two investment. And number three is Let's invest in programs that are incentivizing and educating farmers about how to transition away from their conventional methods into more regenerative agriculture or organic or conservation or permaculture or biodynamic, whatever you want to call it. 
Let's invest in how people can make that happen, how farmers can make that happen, or to invest in certifications that are cheaper to attain because a lot of the disincentives around changing the dynamic around how we're growing food has to do with the cost. And so if we can, if we can alleviate the cost that it, it, um, that it takes for farmers to, to make these transitions, boy, that can, that can be a game changer. And, and are you like, did you do it on purpose to name them basically market first and then and then the others? Because it's something we've heard quite a bit, like we need to focus on the market. Is that deliberate or the one, two, three could also be in another order? I just chose that randomly. Um, I, I think maybe I eased into the investment piece because I think when people think of investment, they automatically go to a product. So perhaps I started there because that's what people can connect with. But I, I want to move people outside of the box of just product because I feel like we are so tied to food that comes in a box and a package and we have forgotten that <laughs> we are connected to the earth and that food comes out of the ground. And when we can get closer to that as human beings, we will care for the earth in a different way. We will treat our food in a different way. We will value our food in a different way and it will affect our health. I truly believe that. So I want to move away from just focusing on products uh, that come in packages with tons of marketing and find ways that we can have a greater connection to our food and the, and the source of our food. And Going back to to products that come in, in packaging, um, I don't know if you can share about it, and but if it's public, I still want to ask it. Um, are there plans beyond this this cousin of buckwheat, let's say, to with other, um, not saying miracle plants, but let's say plants that are objectively from all angles really, really good for um, for humans that eat them, but also for for the planet. Like, are you working on other products that have similar, maybe very different, very different ingredient, but a similar effect on um, on on gut and and planet? Well, the. Um in terms of crops, not necessarily anything that I'm aware of. There might be some, um, you know, underground uh, which we background could activity, anyway, yeah. which I'm not sure, yeah. right? But um, but Big Bull Health also focuses on um, fish oil extracted from sustainably grown or sustainably fished. Um, fish. Uh, so there, there's that. And we know that, you know, omega-3 fatty acids can be beneficial for the gut microbiome and immune function and, and things like that. So there's that. But but I wouldn't be surprised whether it's Big Bold Health or other companies, we are seeing the attention to uh, drought resistant or drought tolerant crops, I think is gaining a lot of traction. I don't know if you all know, but 2023 is the international year of the millets. Mm -hmm. um, so there's true, a lot true. of talk and discussion around um, the crops that we need to start thinking about that are more adaptive to climate change. Um, there's an amazing organization near where I uh, live right now in a place called Port Townsend, Washington, which is in the Pacific Northwest of the United States called the Granary that is using regenerative agriculture to, um, to grow uh, all different permutations of wheat. Um, and 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 creating flowers from that and and generating again these products. Um, I don't work for them, but I just I just know about them. 
uh, creating these products that are grown without chemicals, that are are, are, are very adaptive and resilient to some uh, extreme weather patterns. We're going to need more products like that, right? We're going to need more foods that are nutritious, but also um, tolerant to the, the climate changes that we are already seeing and that are grown in a way that continues to build biodiversity and bring back some of these crops that we haven't seen. You know, how many people out there eat millet on a regular basis? How many people out there eat triticale uh, wheat? It's very, it's few and far between. And so if we can bring back the biodiversity of crops, that is going to have profound, fantastic implications for, for people and planet as well. So bring it on. And yeah, what, what seems to be missing there in terms of like, what do you've seen around? Like, is it really good marketing or storytelling or is, is the wave coming anyway? Like are consumers picking this up in terms of the flower that, that you're selling? Um, what, what is the biggest missing piece or the biggest barrier at the moment? Is it the lack of product, lack of farm support, lack of consumers that are interested or actually not and actually something else because we're subsidizing corn and soy? What, what do you feel is the biggest barrier to unlock? Maybe more study, more research could also be the biggest barrier to unlock the power of, of this nutrient density um, piece because it seems like the key to consumer demand. It seems like the key to uh, getting paid for quality and, and, and flavor instead of quantity. Um, but it also feels very, very early. I, I agree. I, I think I think we're still in the beginning stages, and you know, I I internally feel a sense of urgency of, of, and, and actually disbelief that it, it has not. Um, that this movement hasn't gone even faster, especially in the face of what we're what we're what we're dealing with now. Um, there is a consumer demand, right? Consumers state in the research over and over again that sustainability is important to them, that they they look for products that have um, a sustainability initiative, that they're willing to pay for, for, for products that are a little bit more expensive if they know that the company is dedicated to eco-friendly practices or has a, a more sustainable supply chain. However, when it comes to the cash register and people opening their pocketbooks or their, their wallets, it doesn't always bear out, right? They say they want to, but that doesn't necessarily happen. And I think that is about, you know, issues with, with finance, economics, and also the lack of education that I think the public has in general about what quality and Yeah, because and you mentioned specifically of- sustainability and, and willing to pay for that, etc. I'm wondering... Are we asking the wrong question? Because then it's very easy. Everybody likes to say the answer people like to hear. But then, of course, right, like you said, at the cash register, when you're choosing between one and the other, um, many people, rightfully so, with current prices, inflation, costs, etc., still go for cheaper. Um, but have you seen research that where, where people ask that question on health? Like, are you willing to pay 10% more, whatever the percentage is, or more in general and and when it's actually a product that has X times more phytonutrients in it or X times more zinc, et cetera. Like, have we seen, have you seen research around that or, or results? Because that seems to be a more relevant question. I think the issue of health for most people is not always at the forefront unless they are people who are already thinking about their health. But health and Healthy food is not a huge driver for people. What they want is flavor, convenience, and something that looks and tastes delectable and delicious. 
So I think we have to come at this from a little bit of a different angle. When we say, this is really good for you, this is really good for the planet, you should buy it. People assume it tastes bad. Yeah. They assume it tastes bad and they shut down, right? But if we if we start marketing things as sumptuous, succulent, sexy, delicious, unbelievable, you know, I mean, think of of of, of the of the ads that we say that we see for for a lot of fast food industry you've got a voice that just sounds like you want to follow that person around for the rest of your life you've got sizzling things happening in front of you so there needs to be a different lens through which we are positioning some of these foods that are um perhaps seen as maybe boring because they're healthy or yeah, 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 they help the planet. What is it? What does it matter if I buy one thing that's organic versus not organic? What do I get from that? So I think there needs to be a different way that we that we position and 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 um, and market and promote these foods. And I'm going to keep on coming back Kuhn, to this idea of connection, because I feel like people are just disconnected from themselves, from their culture, from their families, from their food sources, from a, a sense of, of community and from their tongue, probably in terms of tasting. Yeah, right. People just want to, you know, I, I had a patient once who said, I feel like there's a there's a there's a something wrong with the fact that we have to spend time eating like there's a disconnect for me. I don't want to spend time eating. I don't care. I don't care about the food. I just want to like get through it and get onto my day. So I think, you know, that, that is a, a, a what did you say when somebody says that <laughs> you took him or her out for a really good dinner? No, what, what is well, that? I, you know, I, I tried to find a way to, to make, to make food more interesting and fun and, 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 and say, Hey, let's, let's talk about, you know, what, what, what do you enjoy about food? What, what, what makes you feel connected to the foods that you do eat? And so I, th I, I think if we can, if we can get people out of the space, the headspace of I eat to to live fuel myself yeah. <laughs> to just fuel and actually see food as a way to commune you know with oneself with the earth um with animals if you if you are somebody who eats animals and 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 actually wants to you know have a relationship with animals that goes just beyond buying a chicken leg in a in a plastic package in a store um I really feel like that is a fundamental thing that's missing. And, and that is not an easy task. It's not, it's not easy for me to just say like, get more connected to your food. There, something has to happen, shift, some shift has to happen culturally. But I do feel like companies, individuals, people, you know, policy, there has to be something, all of these things that come together that help people to connect more to their food. And a lot of that has to do with changing what's in the store, changing what we have access to, um, you know, increasing access to, to community gardens, to urban farms, to allow people to grow their own food, you know, food sovereignty. I mean, Kuhn, these are not easy. These are not easy answers. Um, but but I, I do see this as more than just like make make healthy food cheaper. That's not going to solve the problem. And, and it's a much more deeper rooted a, issue. This is such a nice bridge to an, an easy question, but a very difficult answer. Um, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing overnight, what would it be? About the agricultural system? In or general, just the world? honestly, in general. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, I'm going to say with the first thing that, that came to my head. Please, because that's I usually the best. Yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like if we could incentivize and reward farmers to practice in a way that is nature friendly um, and to bring people to those farms to understand where their food comes from and to witness that food and to meet their farmers, I think that would transform the world. I really do. But if we could, in this case, you can because you you have the magic, magic. wand. So you just would you say, okay, everybody um, who eats, which is most of us, um, at least has to visit, let's say, one uh, nature inclusive or regeneratively focused farm in their lives. Is is that a fair? Um, spend a day there or something like that. I love that. Okay. Yeah. I, that's a great idea. I think that's a, that's a, a, a great start. We'll get a lot of farm tours going. Yeah. That's good. A lot of farm tours. I don't think we need a magic wand to make that no. happen. Like I do feel like even if it starts on a very small scale, that can happen. And that is another thing to invest in, right? Get inner city kids out to farms, get big people from big ag out to smaller farms where things are happening on a much more get people that run school canteens or hospital yeah. canteens or especially the chefs and, and they're usually underpaid, but um, the teams that have to, because it's one thing to, to say, Oh, like, wait, you should buy more local. And then, but then if all your cucumbers look differently and you're understaffed and underpaid and have to get that to the patient in the hospital as soon as possible, yeah, you might want to, you probably will choose something else. You'll choose the standard one simply because it's easier, but right. also because if you never get out of that kitchen, rightfully so, never visit a farm. And like, it's also that it's one thing for procurement to, to decide something in, in also in a household. But then the second one, like whoever has to, to process it and cook has to probably go through some training and, and has to see the value in that. Otherwise it's just not going to go anywhere. You got it. I mean, this is this is this is where why the system needs to change. You know, it's not the individual like, oh, get that chef to take off work so that they can go visit a farm. Like that person may not be able to do that. Like, how do we change the system so that it's built into the way that we produce food that if you are a chef, that that's just part of the world that you live in is visiting the the farms where you are procuring your food from. Or if you're a food service director, you understand the benefits of regenerative agriculture on plants and people and environment. That it's just, it's built into the structure, the infrastructure of food production and agricultural production. And if you visit, like, I don't know if there are specific conferences. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they're popping up as well. Um, but let's say your quote unquote little bubble, uh, which is of the, the dietitians, but that, that have seen the light uh, of soil. Where do you notice that you disagree? Like, where are you contrarian? I, I like to ask this question that John Kempf always likes to ask about um, conventional ag. Where do you think different uh, among your peers or where do you think different than others? Uh, what, what do you believe to be true that others don't? And like to ask it about in your little bubble, where, what do you have a strong opinion about that others don't, or where do you think differently? There is a lot of friction, um, I would say, in the dietetics community around what organic means or what it means to grow conventional food, what sustainability means, that definition. And, and I really honor where different people are because the fact is that 
sustainability doesn't really have a definition. Regenerative agriculture doesn't really have a definition. There's many permutations. And this is not about blaming the farmer and saying, oh, isn't the farmer who grows conventionally terrible for growing in this way that's destroying people and planet and producing terrible food? Like that, that argument doesn't work because there are many people who come from family farms that are like, hey, th- this, this farmer is doing the best that they can with what they have and what they know. And the, the focus has been on yield or on how that food looks and that is what is profitable and that is what is keeping that family alive. So I think there's a lot of friction of like, you know, is there a real difference between conventionally grown produce and organically grown produce? And in some cases there definitely are. And in some cases there may not be depending on the where that's grown, how it was grown, even if it was conventionally grown, you know, there still may be levels that are of, of nutrients that are the same as certain organic systems, depending on how that food was grown organically. But I think the, um, one of the, the big issues I do believe is around agrochemicals and the impact that that has on health and environment and, and, um, and biodiversity. So I think there's a lot of ire, um, and a lot of miseducation and misinformation that is put out by front groups who are actively um, working for large agribusinesses, educating dietitians, educating health practitioners, educating consumers that pesticides, um, and that's the umbrella term for insecticides, fungicides, and um, uh, herbicides, you know, really don't have an impact on human health. And that is, that is, absolutely incorrect because we have to think beyond just pesticide residues. We have to understand the people who apply those pesticides, the communities that live nearby those pesticides, the downstream effects of that, and also the accumulation. You know, companies will say, oh, there's really no, there's not enough pesticide residues in foods to make a difference. You know, this many parts per million has not been achieved. But if we think about the collection of foods that have pesticide residues that people consume over the course of a day, a week, a month, and then we think about the medical issues that that person may face, the size of that person, um, the fragility of that person, whether they are a small uh, child and haven't neurologically developed yet, there's so much evidence to show that these kinds of agrochemicals are having devastating effects on our communities. And I think that is a is a big point of contention for a lot of people in the dietetics community who just want people to eat more fruits and vegetables and feel that there's a fear factor that's being put into play. And so there's some tension there that I think we're all working out and trying to understand. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. And and I think we're going to see, unfortunately, a lot of research coming out there that connects certain chemicals to certain outcome, because then, of course, it becomes also more interesting from, from the um, suing side of things and, and seeing if you can get uh, certain certain companies to pay, but the cocktail is is the danger here, and and right. the long term effects, and even with I think with glyphosate, they tested it very very briefly, and then some people in France did a much longer test on rats and saw some very scary results. But that paper was published, but just never really taken up until ten years later. Suddenly, uh, we all got more worried about it. So it's also um, and and now of course there's 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 a lot of attention, but still. Um, a lot of pushback from obviously the companies that are selling this stuff. I mean, they would, of course, they push back. It's their livelihoods. Um, but it's, uh, it, we're going to see a lot of scary research, I think, coming out, um, tying specific things to specific conditions. And, and I mean, yeah. I think Parkinson is a, um, a worker's disease for farmers in France because of certain chemicals. Like that's, that's been Absolutely. established. And 
that's not the only thing. Sorry, you just saw, you said? I just saw two webinars, actually, about the effects of glyphosate. I'd be happy to to share the Please link. Please do. I thought they were fantastic. And again, this um, one was given by a woman um, who's been studying glyphosate for since the 1990s. Um, and she presented a lot of really solid research on it. So, um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that that it is having and has had implications and will continue to have implications that may be hard to track. But um, anything that has such a detrimental effect, again, on the soil is going to have an impact on the the density of the plant, the nutrient density of the plant, the immunity of the plant and, um, and the implications around that. Can I say one more thing, though, here, Kuhn, because I, I, I got to tell you one more thing that I think people argue about, which is about about the price. And I know we just talked about healthier food often being pricier. But I went to Walmart's website recently. And Walmart, if you're not from the States, and I don't even know if Walmart is in other places besides the United States, but it's this huge conglomeration that sells food at a very, um, and, you know, bathrobes and bags of coal or whatever you want, and ball gowns um, all in one store. But I went and looked up online and I thought, I want to compare something real quick. A bag of Lay's potato chips, baked potato chips, eight ounces, was... um, $2.76 for an eight ounce bag of potato chips, okay? Processed food. And then I went and looked at how much organic potatoes at Walmart. Organic potatoes, one pound was $1.39. So let me just say that again. Potato chips, eight ounce bag, eight ounces was $2.76. One pound of organic potatoes was $1.39. So wait a second, are organic foods always more expensive than non-organic foods? Are healthier foods more expensive than non-healthy, that are less healthy foods, I should say? That is not always the case. And that is another argument that I think we need to, and another myth that I think we also need to dispel. Yeah, we need to. And there are many cheaper products, and especially on the legumes, the potatoes, the onions, and, and just bulk and, and commodities that you can get organic um, of course, if you go to certain very special fruits, etc., you, you start to pay per kilo prices that For sure. um, you, you can also buy an iPhone. Um, but there are many other like the staples. Yeah, it, it doesn't make such a big difference on a year budget. And, and you can already get and there are nice lists of the dirty dozen, like things you have to absolutely have to avoid on the non-organic or, or the chemical side. Um, so you can get pretty far. But yeah, you have to do a bit a bit of research. Um, and as a final question, usually it's not a final question, but um, what would you do? I mean, we've talked a bit already about um, what three things you would focus on. But if you had, um, I usually like to use a, a, a rather large number, let's say a billion dollars to to invest. So it had to be invested, could be very long term, doesn't have to be coming back in 10 years or five years, could be 20, 30, 40, etc. But it has to come back at some point with a return, preferably. What would you focus on? What would I personally invest? If you would be an investor. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Coon! I don't think I was expecting this question or what I would do. Um, I mean, I, I could be the three things you mentioned before. Like, like yeah, I invest mean, in I, brands, invest in invest in uh, farmers, especially the the minority side, the BIPOC, etc., and invest in transition. I mean, those are that's a solid investment strategy there in in total. But it could be something completely different. Like I would put everything in nutrient density measurement technology. I mean, that could also be the case. 
I mean, I, I, I'm very concerned about the future of our planet and the future of our ability to survive. So for me, if, if I could invest in something, I would invest in whatever felt like the most, um, significant way to mitigate the climate crisis, you know, and I, and I do feel like one of the, the ways that we can do that is, is through food system and agricultural system transformation. So, um, but it, it's it would be it would be yeah, again from education, um, I- increasing access, uh, incentivizing farmers, uh, investing in more companies that are having these more eco friendly supply chains, and um, and again elevating and amplifying indigenous uh, cultures and, and communities that that ultimately I do believe have many answers that we need to be paying attention to and and, and having a better understanding of and um and respect for so i think that's 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 my million that's my million or billions of dollars uh investment strategy it's 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 multi-pronged that's a very solid one thank you so much with for that answer and for your time in general and thank you for for being here with us to share more about a cousin of buckwheat i never thought i would say that sentence um and the health benefits of that and i i have no doubt there will be more uh, there are more products in the work and there will be more products coming, um, which is very interesting, I think, to see uh, a gut health company coming out with a flower. So I cannot wait what, what happens after that. And of course, your journey in general. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kuhn. And thank you for allowing to have these conversations that are really shedding so much light on how important it is that we grow food in a way that supports soil and, uh, and nutrient density to ultimately support human health and the health of the planet. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.